Uh, so here we are now, a couple of weeks later. We've gone through Thanksgiving and had some great adventures as a community uh, promoting home church, and we're returning back to the Both And series. Uh, the series, in case you, you weren't here, is meant to uh, give us an opportunity to look at some of the areas in the life of the church that are uh, kind of polarized, and certainly uh, looking at the election in Canada, we know that things can get uh, polarized, uh, but in particular, uh, thinking about, you know, uh, Christianity in the United States, in North America, in the UK, in particular, where you have uh, strong communities of Christian churches, sometimes evangelical, sometimes charismatic, sometimes charismatic, evangelical, uh, Baptist, Pentecostal. You have a cr- tremendous diversity in the, in the church and a tremendous diversity of opinions on a number of different things. And, and what I really uh, loved about uh, thinking about this uh, stuff was the idea that in many of those cases where you're dealing with an either or, where you're dealing with a, a strong sense of it's got to be this way, or it's got to be this way, and you see this all the time on social media, back and forth, back and forth. If you post one thing that leans a little bit a certain direction, then somebody's going to balance you and post something that leans the other direction. And uh, there's this uh, incredible desire to attain balance, but it's like the wildest ride on a teeter-totter you ever had. Do you, you remember that as kids when we were allowed to have teeter-totters? Back in the day, uh, it goes back and forth. I, what, I, do you, anybody miss the teeter-totter? Anybody lose any teeth on the teeter-totter? I don't know anybody who lost teeth on the teeter-totter, but we got no more teeter-totters. It's a, it's a bummer. Uh, so anyway, this great book by uh, Rich Nathan, uh, Living the Christ-Centered Life in an Either-Or World, uh, really sort of proposes this idea that a lot of these things that are either-or, uh, that we, we fight about in the Christian community, are really uh, both and. And uh, these are some of the things that, that we're talking about. Evangelical or charismatic, social justice, proclamation, endurance uh, and suffering, blessing and healing, grace and acceptance. Or is it about uh, personal holiness? Is it about the word of God and being led by that or being led by the spirit? Is it about our orthodox belief or is it about having a relevant practice? And, and really we believe it's, it's both those things. And so we want to take um, ourselves as a church and, and position ourselves as as people that are, are balanced, not balanced by being nothing, but balanced by being the fullness of, of everything that Jesus has for us. And that actually is, is radical. Um, and so we are looking at that. What does that mean for us? And in particular this week, and I am just accelerating through this at a rapid pace because on uh, Communion Sundays, the sermon time gets squashed a little bit. I promise I will get you out of here by 1 o'clock. Um, <laughs> we'll do our best to accelerate this, but I'm also going to ask you for a little bit of, of your time, a little bit extra time. But uh, anyway, we're going to continue on. Um, in this case, we're looking at this uh, sort of both and question that we all really wrestle with it at a, at a pretty deep level at various times in our lives. Is Jesus going to come and meet me uh, as a comforter when I'm in trouble, or, or is he going to meet me as a deliverer? And very often in life, we, we find ourselves in times of trouble or times of trial or times of sickness or pain or financial stress or whatever it is. And, and we, we're wrestling with this question, um, but how do we pray? How do we really pray about this? And, and incidentally, just 
just a little side note, and I should probably skip over this for the sake of, of time. It's actually amazing how many people pray, and I want to point you to this website, the Pew Forum, and it's just something uh, that, uh, that uh, I look at all the time, and I just poke around it just for fun, just looking at various statistics. It's, it, they call themselves, you know, there's think tanks. They call themselves uh, uh, data tanks. And so they've got all of this information uh, about various things. And what you'll notice here, I just wanted to point out this one statistic that I came across. You can't really see it. The, the print is too small for you, but the fourth line from the bottom talks about atheists. And it says 5%, they've discovered in their studies that 5% of atheists pray daily, which is, which is, which is fascinating. And only 87% of atheists don't pray at all, which means that 13% of atheists Pray occasionally. So I, I would just love to tease out the data on that one. Uh, but, uh, but we all pray. Um, most of us pray. Uh, we, when, we, when we hit times of trouble, we're almost genetically hardwired to, to go to God with the big questions, to, to ask him to, to meet us, to ask him to speak to us, to, to cry out to him to meet our need. And when we meet uh, these challenges in life, one of the great questions that we struggle with, and, and I've seen this, and, I, and I've felt this, you know, in ministry times here in front of church, or in uh, prayer times with friends, or in hospital rooms, there's always this tremendous struggle, this tremendous question about how do we pray? Uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll relate a story, and, and if you've been around OVV for a while, you've heard me, me say this uh, story before, but I remember when I was a pretty formative time for me as I was, as I was a young man, I was uh, understanding I was called to ministry. I was in the church that I'd grown up in, wonderful Baptist uh, church, and, and a man that we all love named David uh, was stricken with cancer and was in the hospital uh, in Ottawa undergoing treatment. And I remember as a beloved man in the church, we, we prayed for him and we had all of these wonderful prayer meetings for him. And I remember uh, this one prayer meeting where we were really going to focus. Those who were really called to pray were going to stay for an hour after church and we were just going to hunker down in the library and just pray and pray for, for David for however long it really took. And, and I remember there as a young man just being incredibly frustrated. Incredibly frustrated because uh, we, we prayed for uh, the doctors to have wisdom. And we prayed for comfort for his family. And we prayed for comfort for David. And we prayed for the ability to endure suffering. And, and in uh, a couple of hours of, of intense prayer, not one of us had the courage to pray for healing. Not one of us had the courage to pray for the miracle to happen. Uh, in those moments of prayer, in those moments of wrestling, there's something in us that's, that's one, maybe we could be like little kids and just like ask for whatever we want at Christmas. Dad, I would like a Lamborghini. <laughs> right? My kids ask for me for a Lamborghini all the time. That's great. I'm not giving them a Lamborghini. Uh, but, uh, but most of the time when we're really feeling it, we struggle with, dare I ask for the miracle? Dare I ask for the miracle? We, we, we feel that there's a, 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 a risk in doing that, that, that there's a risk of disappointment, that there's a risk of pain. And, and this is something that is uh, uh, an incredible challenge for us. I want to uh, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verses 3. Uh, to 11. This is our text for this morning, and I want us to just read through this, because this is the text where 
Paul most clearly uh, lays it out in terms of his experience around God's comfort and God's presence and around the question of deliverance and freedom and, and his own suffering and all that. And I just want to lay this out. And, there's, and this, this sort of happens in a number of different places in the scriptures, but this is uh, the most clear. Let me just read this uh, for us. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so our comfort abounds through Christ. So this is the beginning. This is Paul's talk. This is uh, him saying, okay, this is what it's like when God comforts, and this is what good comes out of it. He talks about how we can comfort those uh, in trouble because we've been comforted in our troubles. Uh, If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. So our sufferings can produce growth. Paul's laying that out as a part of the package for how we deal with suffering. And our hope is for you is firm. Because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Uh, Paul's pointing out, and I'm just doing this really, really fast. I would normally go through this passage a second time and, and really pull these apart. I spent almost 12 hours in this passage this week. And uh, to have 20 minutes to give it to you is almost impossible. Uh, but I'm going to try to uh, try to do this really quickly. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. So there's something about suffering that's a, a shared community experience. There's something about it that bonds us. There's a way in which God uses it to bring us together. And then he goes on to talk about his experience in Asia. He says this, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Cheery notes from Paul. Okay? But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. Again, thinking about suffering as something that produces growth in us, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. So whatever suffering, and Paul does not go into specifics here about what that was, but whatever suffering they were enduring, whatever pain they were enduring, God absolutely delivered them from it. Note to self, when you're suffering, deliverance is always in your future. It's not in your present. You can't get deliverance and salvation from a problem unless you have a problem. (laughs) Right? So just note to self, Paul is talking about a process. He's talking about a journey. Uh, He's delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. A great word of hope. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. So out of this experience, whatever it was, and we're going to talk about it in just a moment, Paul has tremendous hope. He's learned in that moment that God has delivered him, and he's learning that God will deliver him again and again. As you help us by your prayers, he's calling the community to prayer. Thank you for praying for us. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious 
favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Paul is talking about the tremendous favor of God. Now, scholars will look at this passage, and what they do is they say, and, and this is what I did when I first read it and started digging into it, what the heck happened in Asia? What in the world happened in Asia? What is the story that Paul is talking about? What are these troubles that happened in Asia? And immediately you go to the book of Ephesians and the book of Acts because Ephesus is, is in Asia. And so let me just read to you some quick excerpts from uh, Acts chapter 19. Uh, Paul's adventures in Asia, the troubles that happened in Asia. Listen to this, Acts chapter 19. This is in Ephesus, uh, verse 5. And I don't have these up on the screen for you. Uh, On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. They were about 12 in all. Paul has this encounter with people who had, had been baptized into John's baptism, but they didn't know about Jesus, and they didn't know about the Holy Spirit. So this is Paul's trouble in Asia. An incredible ministry opportunity that's recorded for all the ages uh, where we see the Holy Spirit being poured out and, 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 and people prophesying the gifts of God poured out, the favor of God. Right? Beautiful piece there. Uh, going ahead uh, a little bit further in chapter 19, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. In the middle of Paul's troubles in Asia, incredible miracles. Incredible advance of the kingdom of God. Incredible salvation coming to a place where there was once no church at all. The life of God coming forth with power and authority and glory. Isn't that what we want to experience as people? Isn't that what we're looking for? Isn't that what we're longing for? Uh, going on, um, this is, and this is where... Uh, where scholars place the passage uh, that, we're, that we're talking about here is they say, okay, this is in Asia. This is some of what happened here in Ephesus. And pretty soon we're going to go on to the, the, his journey to the city of Troas. But uh, look at this little bit that also happened with the miracles, with the handkerchief, with the whole deal. Uh, verse 29, soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and rushed as one man to the theater. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province uh, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. There was a huge riot. Paul was preaching. Uh, Silversmiths who were making idols were going out of business. The city was in an uproar. Violence was about to happen. City officials are setting in. Paul's in the middle of a riot. This is part of Paul's journey of suffering and deliverance in Asia. Uh, Going on now to this next little piece, uh, and this piece, I'm going to just read this again uh, from from here, because this is where uh, this trouble in Asia, where we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Uh, What we have in the life in the early church is um, is some hint that something happened on the road uh, between. Uh, Ephesus and Troas, two cities in Asia, and we're going to wind up in Troas next, Uh, that somewhere on this road, this happened, whatever it was where where Paul felt close to death. We have textual evidence for this as well. That word in there doesn't just mean anywhere in Asia. It means in the middle of Asia. So it's just a weighted word. So just a little bit of 
of uh, uh, look at the language stuff for us there. Uh, but, but here we are in the middle of it, all of this trouble somewhere on the road. And then when he gets to Ephesus, or gets to uh, Troas, we have this. And this is every preacher's favorite uh, passage right here. Uh, seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus. Now Paul's in Troas preaching away, right? Uh, who was slinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. This is a great, isn't this a great one for a Sunday where we're like tight on time? Isn't this a great one? Paul talked on and on. And when Eutychus was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Now, I've never had anyone die in one of my sermons, thankfully. Uh, but Paul had. Paul's experienced that. That's a, that's a good thing for him. And Paul went down and threw himself down on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. At which point, they threw a celebration and Paul immediately canceled the rest of his sermon. No. And then he went upstairs again and they broke bread and ate. And after talking until daylight, he left. That's every long-winded preacher's favorite passage right there, I'm telling you. So this is the trouble in the life of, uh, of the church in Asia. This is Paul's trouble in Asia. Look at the mix of life that's going on. Riots, guys dying, something terrible happening on the road. Either they were hijacked or waylaid. Nobody really knows what it is. There's some hints about it in, in legends from the, the stories of the early church fathers. Uh, a crazy, crazy experience. But all described by Paul in this passage as being filled with the favor of God. Being filled with the favor of God. Grace granted to us. Gracious favor in answer to the prayers of many. When we meet a challenge in life so often, when we're in that moment of wrestling do we want God's comfort or do we want the miracle? We look at the miracle as the first thing we want, Christmas morning, and we look at the comfort as the consolation prize. Isn't that right? Isn't that the way we view it most of the time? That's not at all how the early church saw it. We pray for the comfort. We pray for the miracle. It's all Jesus. The early church... And we see this like through all of the sufferings and all of the persecutions of the early church. We see it all the way through uh, the stories of the Gospels. And there's passage and there's passage and there's passage about this of celebrating uh, the sufferings that they share with Christ and about the miracles that are happening all around them every day. They absolutely looked at the suffering. They looked at the miracle. And they saw those two things as things that they wanted to sort out. But what they wanted more than any of it was anywhere, any moment, any time that they were connecting with Jesus. It was all about Jesus. Is Jesus going to meet me in my, in my sufferings? If that's how I'm going to meet Jesus, that's what I want. Is Jesus going to do a miracle? If Jesus is going to do a miracle, that's what I want. They did not see a teeter-totter in any way and either this or that. They just wanted Jesus. And they passionately pursued him. Now for us, that's a, that's a tremendous challenge. Because we're wired uh, by modernity to, to want to choose one or the other. 
But early Christians weren't wired that way at all. They were wired to see Jesus in whatever came. Now, I've had conversations like this with, uh, with friends before, with, with atheist friends even, where they say, you know, Christianity, that's a pretty, uh, you got a pretty good delusion going on there. You're happy when Jesus uh, messes you up and you're suffering and you're, you're happy when he's doing a miracle. Like, like it's not even fair. And, and so that's the best delusion ever, it said to me. And, and, and you know what I, what I say to that? That's the best relationship ever. That's the best relationship ever. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing that Jesus will meet us anywhere? Absolutely anywhere. He will meet us anywhere. He will meet us with victory. He will meet us in suffering and draw victory out of that. But it's all about Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you two brief stories of two hospital rooms. Uh, as you can imagine, I see a, a number of hospital rooms. Uh, the first one was a story uh, with my friends uh, Paul and Yana in, in Toronto, uh, an incredibly wonderful young couple, young worship leaders uh, who loved Jesus. They were in their early 20s. They were having uh, their first uh, baby uh, this child was anticipated by the youth group. Uh, they were excited about this baby. They were absolutely uh, delighted. And we were all looking to this moment with, with incredible hope. And I remember uh, close to the time of the, the baby's birth, I'd known that, heard that they were in the hospital, that the, the child was coming. And I remember uh, getting the call uh, at one afternoon. Uh, Sunday afternoon after church and, and I saw that their number came up and I was excited to pick up the call and the first thing I heard on the line was tremendous grief. Tremendous grief. Uh, this child uh, had, been, had been stillborn. Faithful, wonderful, faith-filled Christians. This child had been born, uh, uh, stillborn. And I remember rushing to the hospital and walking into this hospital room that was just incredibly filled with pain and incredibly filled with grief. I remember cradling this little baby with uh, the family uh, gathered around me as I held this little infant uh, not breathing and us crying out to God for this baby to come back to life. I, I remember it like it was yesterday. And I remember life not coming into this beautiful baby. But what I remember uh, from the days and the weeks that followed that was the baby they named Chris. They named the baby Grace. We buried that child together. We grew together. We wept together. We figured out how to pay for the funeral together. They lived in hope. They lived in grace. And in the end, God absolutely won. God absolutely triumphed. God absolutely had victory. Through the most intense suffering, moment of pain, that, that, that one of the most intense moments of pain that I, as a minister, can per have personally experienced. 
another hospital room. Uh, not too many months later. Uh, I'd been in Lagos, Nigeria. We'd been there on a short-term missions trip, and the youth pastor who was replacing us at this church in Toronto, uh, we hadn't gotten news on the road. There wasn't the time of uh, email and Twitter and, and all of that where that much of it was happening. But we got back to Toronto. We were just about to move to St. Stephen, New Brunswick. And, and as we landed, as the plane landed, I picked up the phone to, to figure out what was going on in life and get caught up. The youth pastor that we'd hired to replace us, I heard, was in Ottawa now. This is while I'm in Toronto, was in Ottawa uh, in a hospital bed with leukemia. And I remember walking into that hospital room. We were moving to St. Stephen, New Brunswick, uh, and the next day, we were moving to St. Stephen, New Brunswick. The day before that, while we're packing clothes, I hopped on a plane in Toronto, flew to Ottawa, visited in the hospital for an hour, flew back to... Uh, uh, Toronto got in the truck the next morning packed up the truck that night got in the truck the next morning and drove to New Brunswick craziest day of my life jet lagged from a trip to Lagos, Nigeria but I remember being in that hospital room and I remember that also being the most hope filled place you could possibly imagine most hope-filled place you can imagine. I remember written on the wall of that hospital room were these words, this sickness shall not end in death, but be for the glory of God. And through prayer, and through suffering, and through struggling, and through uh, a miracle, that pastor is still alive and well and serving Jesus. He was healed. In both circumstances, both through pain and through suffering and through challenge and heartache. The favor and glory of God came forth. The favor and glory of God came. And that was a tough miracle. That was a, a, a tough miracle. But sometimes it's easy miracles. Sometimes, did you know that sometimes miracles happen before you even knew they happened? Do you know that God protects you from things that you never, ever knew were going to happen to you? We live in the incredible grace and favor of the Lord. It's all from Him. It's all from Him. It's all about His power. It's all about His glory. What did the early church know? What did they know? They knew that they wanted to serve the purpose of God more than they wanted their comfort. They knew that deliverance always comes, be it now or after death. Salvation always comes. They knew that whether in the moment of their suffering or pain, or through the miracle, Jesus was going to be powerfully present to them. And he will be powerfully present to you. And here's what else I think is true about them. They always started, I think, by honestly asking for the miracle. And we see it time and time and time again. No matter where you're at on the hope continuum, always, always ask for the miracle. Always cry out for the miracle. Always seek the blessing. Always seek deliverance. Never be afraid to go for it with your whole heart. And that's risky and that's scary, but it's absolutely 
the best place to start. I promise you that as bad as your life is, it's probably worse than you can possibly imagine. And that God is infinitely more generous than you've ever dreamed. He's a generous, faithful, powerful, present God. And he will do miracles among us. And so I just want to invite us to, uh, to, to just stand together and pray. Um, you know, John Wimber had an incredible, uh, just a, a very, very simple way of praying. Uh, at least when he started out with prayer and with, with prayer encounters, uh, with meeting people in all kinds of suffering and needing all kinds of, of healing, uh, the very, very simple prayer was this. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. And so wherever you're at, are you looking for a financial miracle? Are you uh, needing a, a miracle of healing in your body? Have you been struggling with chronic illness for a long time? Do you have something hanging over your head that you can't handle? Will you simply pray, come, Lord Jesus. Bring the miracle. Bring your presence. Bring your comfort. It's all from you, but it starts with a humble admission of our need. 